Welcome to Oops All Monsters, the deadly unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me when he's not incubating inside the vacant skulls of horny frat boys is Gavin. And this weirdo with me, uh, <laughs> buying up all of the Grievo records is S. Grievo. Grievo is the Bruce McCullough Danzig character. <laughs> I do not remember that, and now it's definitely going to have to go in the show, because that's great. <laughs> I didn't... Why does my brain not keep things like that in it? Um, so I'll save that for later. Uh, and anyway, at any rate... We are here to, as we always are, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming from the console and the tabletop and beyond. On a rotating basis, each of us brings a monster into the shop unknown to the other presenter and discusses their origins and implications for the benefit of you, dear readers at home. We tell you about the monsters. We talk, we look at the monsters and we talk about them and then you know about them. And then we re <laughs> relate to them with our own strangeness and our yeah, well, weird childhood stories. Yes, the flaky, flaky layers of sickeningly sweet baklava of <laughs> relating to the monsters. Uh, as a quick reminder, any images that we refer to throughout the show, particularly in our describing segment at the end, are available on Instagram at OopsAllMonsters. Please get at us there. I've actually been behind on that because y'all have been behind on it too. So um, check those out. Go to OopsAllMonsters at uh, Instagram.com. It makes things more fun and engaged. Um, oh, and I got to remember to hype this. It's the last week we're going to hype it. This week is going to be the end of our um, John Delancey as Q 8-inch Mego Toy Challenge. Get your get your Patreon and PayPal.me uh, prize raffle entries in. $20 or more at PayPal.me slash OopsAllMonsters or um, $5 or more a month over at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters automatically enters you into this hilariously delightful 8-inch cue from Star Trek The Generation toy raffle. We will write a, probably a lewd poem on it, a filthy limerick on the box of this John Delancey toy and mail it to you, even if you're in New Zealand. Uh, I, I, I'll mail it anywhere. Even hmm. if you're with uh, Elon Musk on the International Space Station or whatever. Yeah, we'll mail it. That's what. Uh, that's exactly the joke I was about to make. <laughs> okay. We'll mail it to Musk if he if he subscribes to the Patreon. We'll great mail it to your space great minds station. steal a bike. Great great minds mail toys to Elon Musk in in his fucking space castle. So, um, if any, if anybody, this is your first episode, this episode's actually going to be, um, somewhat off format because this is our brand new year 2022 spectacular, the first time that we're, um, bringing in a new year on the show. So we conspired, which we don't normally do on what the topic would be and came up with a heavy hitter for us in at least in our shop, around the shop, this is a big one. It's it's not necessarily a big one for you readers at home, 
depending on how far in the pocket you are of our kind of like taste buds. But if you're like us, you will know it. If you don't know this movie, you should really, um, by the end of this, by the end of it, hopefully be convinced that you need to check it out right now. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna introduce it a little bit with a little with a little standard imagine, if you will, um, to get us into the uh, the mood. Okay, you prepared, Gavin? So yeah. this will not contain. Gavin already knows, so this does not have the normal um, remembering or guessing what this is. But we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make do anyway. We're gonna do it as its own thing. So imagine, if you will, it's fall 1985. It's College Campus USA. The trees are full of toilet paper, the porches covered in Miller High Life. <laughs> you are a 19-year-old tight-bodied co-ed, savagely brushing your hair in the mirror in preparation for tonight's oh-so-mandatory kegger event, where you and your other sorority sisters will blithely ignore the delightfully chauvinist and quasi-fascist musings of the frat boys that you have, for some reason, signed up to socialize with on a regular basis for the next few years. You're about to start hosing your dome with the first assault of Aquanet when the 25-pound house phone starts blasting away like Ivan Drago next to you, and you pick it up and it's for Allison. Of course it's always for Allison, that slut. You turn and scream down the hall for her, and you're suddenly face-to-face with a little ratty dog that Wendy brought into the house last week for some fucking reason, but it looks weird, kind of like just then a giant black slug the size and shape of a ripe sweet potato launches out of its hollow eye socket at your fucking mouth when some weird old man in a trench coat kicks down the door with a cigarette in his mouth and a shotgun over his shoulder. That's right, it's Miller time, and this is Night of the Creeps on Oops All Monsters, your end-of-the-year spectacular. Uh, space slug zombies. Z- slug zombie zombies. space slugs. Um, I will admit that in wa- in preparation for this, the, the uh, special effects team that were very intimate with Fred Decker kept referring to them as worms. And, I, and I'm like, I know you guys made them, <laughs> but they ain't worms. I know they're from yeah. space, but them's slugs i don't i don't eat so call them worms all you want these be space slugs also if you have a chance to say space slugs say space slugs um space worms yeah, space just slug. is not it doesn't that's not a worm like science fiction and horror is already full of worms from space and they don't look like that these yeah. are slugs they're giant slug monsters but before we Space uh, abuse that um, slug to climax. Let's let's orient ourselves around this idea. What is Night of the Creeps, Gavin? Night of the Creeps is a nineteen eighty four or five um, six. It came out shot eighty five. Came out eighty six. Nineteen eighty six um, horror movie, horror comedy movie. Yeah about um kind of two things it's about a detective's redemption for past um vengeance comedy murders <laughs> and it's uh-huh. <laughs> and it takes us into the modern 1986 day uh where a college student 
Lonely for Love finds it in the middle of a space slug infestation. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. I will say that like a kind of a, uh, the duality that you just described there is certainly an aspect that in terms of actually giving a shit about this movie is going to come up. This, I'm not somebody who is really like super into turning everything into a, uh, a duality. I think mostly it's a, it's like bullshit. Uh, But in this case, this movie is specifically, um, taking two different timelines, the, the, the horror tropes of the 1950s and early sixties, the, you know, the black and white matinee era, and then slashing that up and and putting it in between slices of the um, burgeoning 80s slasher and body horror subgenres. It, the, the, like, two things combining is a main thing. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it was perfect for the mood that everybody was in about eight to ten years ago whenever um, we were having, like, Cold War 50s... Uh, like pop culture renaissances about like, Oh, remember, remember the 1950s? No, none of you fucking do, but remember Mm. that video game that kind of looks like the 1950s. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. And also let's mix it with the eighties because why not? Because we're kind of remembering that too. This movie does that. And I'm not, I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't like ultimately super featured in like 2012 as like the best (laughs) thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's really weird the the reasons that I mean I don't want to jump to the the tail of the dragon board before discussing its face but the <laughs> the reasons that Night of the Creeps did not have a massive front loaded success that it was unknown and and it failed at the box office and you know people say that it's a it's a a big cult movie and you know on a on a certain scale it definitely is but it it. I would say, you know, because just because it's popular in the monster shop, it's not people. Pe- nobody knows about anything. Nobody so we'll knows just, what like, it is. So yeah. we're just we just have to treat this as if nobody has any idea what we're fucking talking about at all, because that's reasonable. A majority of the audience is going to go. That sounds like a very miscellaneous 1980s VHS store trash film and yeah it's so much more involved by by such a complicated (laughs) yeah you could not be blamed because the the bows and packaging and outward appearance and even kind of the 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 costume that the the movie is wearing it really dresses itself up as a like a like society (laughs) Yeah, kind of. It's like a B move, or well, society's kind of like going in a like, whoa, you didn't see this coming. Allegories, like direction, and this is you really did see it coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, like society is like one theme. You know what's going to happen, and you're just kind of waiting for the gross monsters. This is not that movie. Night of the Creeps has several, several twists and turns and plot points that'll make you think, even if you're not a horror fan. Or, like, don't like movies at all if you watch this movie. You'll probably, if you don't like movies at all and you watch this movie, you'll probably ask, like, why the fuck did I do that? Because <laughs> that just confused me and made me angry. But if you do like movies, watch Night of the Creeps and see what I mean. Like, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to think about here. <laughs> yeah. So before we before we um, start hunting uh, slugs on campus, 
the the movie comes out in 1986. It's the first feature film um, by a guy named Fred Decker. Uh, he has a, a, some marginal success immediately following that with Monster Squad, which actually does yeah. really well. Um, and then uh, he does a couple other things and a, a bit later gets put into uh, essentially a, a quasi-permanent version of Director Jail because he's the scapegoat for RoboCop 3, which yeah. everybody universally uh, pans. And I, yeah. we're not going to – this is a case where we're not going to disagree with everybody. Um, everybody knows that RoboCop 3 is trash. So we're going to well, give you RoboCop that, 3. RoboCop 3 is a really nice extra source book to have, but mm-hmm. you do not need it. <laughs> but Night of the Creeps is kind of – it is my favorite um it is my favorite secret Hess category of a smart movie disguised as a very dumb movie because yeah. it walks up to you and it says it, it hits you with as many cliches as it can as efficiently <laughs> as it can yeah. um it's it walks up to you and it, it, it but confusingly it starts with two small aliens on a yeah. on a plane on a on a spaceship in what seems to be deep space or three aliens two of them there are these little weird naked guys on a ship trying to use laser blasts to kill a third one who launches yeah. a mystery tube of dangerous material out into space which Big shockerino, like creep show style, lands in uh, suburban 1959 USA. Yeah. And then some other people who are in the middle of a 1950s B movie um, with black and white and making out on like make out point. Johnny, can we go back to the point now? you fondle my breast uh discover it and it explodes with some kind of strange cheap uh backward cranked uh slug effect and is also juxtaposed with the fact that there's a maniacal serial killer that comes with an axe yeah. and kills <laughs> yeah. this woman who turns out recently escaped from the insane asylum. Yes, recently escaped from the insane asylum, as the um, very <laughs> helpful and sedate radio announcer explains. And then, um, and then that you're going, what the flying fuck was that? And then they just scrub away from that. You're like, okay, we're not in a fifties horror movie. It's not about an insane asylum serial killer. What the fuck is going on? And it descends in this really deep tracking shot into uh, 1980s fraternity college life. And it's very much the scene that I depicted in the Imagine, if you will. It's uh, Greek row on some campus. There's uh, fake fraternities, fake sororities. And um, there are these two hapless guys that feel on the edge of um, their, they have no social life. They're just kind of like 
low begone <laughs> 1980s tropes of guys that are never going to get yeah. laid, right? That's the unlucky in love college, uh, I guess, very <laughs> sexually frustrated but humbled um, dorks. Yeah, they're played by these two guys, um, Jason Lively, who uh, the year prior was given some attention because he pl- he took over as Russ in National Lampoon's European Vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a joke to you tonight. And uh he was he was great. He looked like a very he looks he looks like puberty the person during this era. Yeah. Uh he's kind of like an awkward <laughs> um you know kind of like Harry Potter style ginger with a very expressive face. And then his kind of sidekick character is portrayed by a, a Canadian actor named Steve Marshall. Hey fuck you, Chris who is um, very rare for this time. He's a kid in crutches whose handicap is never explained. It's, a, yeah. it's addressed in some, in some bullying, and it does become a plot point, but um, it very maturely does not ever, you know, they don't say he's got polio, you know, they don't say he was hit by a truck. You know, it's just, it's just you know, Fred Decker, when, when asked about it, said, well... You, the not a character can be disabled without his character being about his disability, which is a pretty fucking forward way of doing thinking yeah. for commercial Hollywood movies made by white dudes from you know California in 1985. So uh, Steve Marshall plays the wide wisecracking sidekick, and they get pulled into another kind of cliche tornado where in order to get close to Jason Lively's sudden and intense love interest, because he just sees this pretty brunette girl in front of a keg party. He's like, I'm in love with that girl. How we'll never be able to have anything to do with her unless we go to this keg party. And, and, and what's the verb that everybody use? I should know this. I'm from WVU. Uh, pledge. If we don't pledge this frat. (laughs) And then they're immediately, um, set in front of, um, the the Council of Fraternity Goons. Yeah, and nothing could be closer to like what would actually happen. Is like if if you want to be in a frat and you don't know anybody in the frat, then they'll let you come to the pledge party, but they're gonna like humiliate you and <laughs> like make yeah. you into the biggest butt joke ass that that they possibly can. And they have a whole system for doing this. And so, like, if you don't know it in your frat, don't pledge to a frat. If if we have any young <laughs> listeners, I doubt it. But <laughs> ah, the society doesn't work the way that it used to. Nothing means anything. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. Yeah. But um, they're they're quickly and efficiently supplicating uh, uh, on, uh, on their knees before um, the character of Brad, who is perfectly played by a guy named Alan Kayser, who is uh, um, playing Brad as a, a, a would-be, would-be fascist leader of the Kappas or Deltas or whatever the fuck. Who gives a shit? And, but he's fantastic. He, some people that are um, as old or older than us would also recognize him as Bubba from uh, Mama's Family. Yeah. He, there's a couple of movies during this era where he's kind of doing some really heavy Cobra Kai blonde alpha douche, douchebag shit. And he does it really as hard as he can yeah. in this movie. He does a good job. 
<laughs> yeah, he's fa- he's he plays it as he's. I'm doing it as hard as I can. He really <laughs> yeah. swings for the fence and comes across like a um, you know, like a a disabled person punching schmuck. Or I guess he trips him. But yeah. the, the point is, yeah. he's effect. He's effectively monstrous. Yeah, and. So they they try to come up with what can we get these hapless losers to do um, that would be hilarious. And so they send them off. You can pledge the pledge the frat if you go break into the school morgue, which is like a thing, apparently. Oh, yeah, definitely. Know is. About. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, you know, I mean, I've lived in <laughs> lived in a college town for a significant portion of my life. I've never once heard anything referred to the the college morgue. Um, I'm pretty sure those are, I'm pretty sure those are not things that (laughs) I thought you were going to say you never heard of that. Like, prank thing and i certainly have to break into a morgue yes but the college oh, morgue, i mean sure yeah. steal it <laughs> yeah you know thing one and thing two they run off to get into some good good undergraduate mischief at which time they crack open a different horror movie yeah but tonight is also the night of the creeps they they, they wander down into this weird facility where um, a body is being like uh, Walt Disney corpse sickled in a uh, in some kind of bizarre cryostasis project and smash smash the red button for some reason and unleash a 1980s um, body horror genre on on the audience and the uh, the other actors in the film. This weird corpse stumbles out. They they scream like uh, Scooby Doo style and flee, uh, screaming like banshees. Yeah. The, uh, the <laughs> I that forgot that's from this movie. Yeah, screaming culturally like a insensitive Asian janitor. Uh, it doesn't make it not funny, but it doesn't. That, it's not it doesn't. It's uh, you know def- definitely one of the things I quoted from this movie in the nineties. Like and um, so subsequent to that, what we learn is that this specimen had been kept because presumably it was exceedingly dangerous. This was the corpse um, of the maniac from the asylum that was infected with the. The weird zombie slugs that now... Well, I don't think it was the maniac. Wait, who was it? Was it somebody else? I think else? it might have been the boyfriend. Just some... Oh, it was probably the boyfriend. Because yeah. the maniac is still buried. Yeah, the maniac is buried under the yep. house. <laughs> yeah, because he yeah, he comes back later. Right. Yeah. Okay, so scratch that. It, it, it's the, the boyfriend from the 1950s. I'll even let you fondle my breasts. Who has been riddled with the zombie slug problem? Apparently, the scientists in the fifties, unlike reality, were really um, kicking ass at diagnosing problems and keeping them uh, locked up tight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He escapes, and with him, a, a whole mess of these kind of—I would call them nine, ten-inch-long, slithering black slug things that go make this terrible slimy sound as they shoot off in all directions and begin infecting the the uh, the campus around them <laughs> creepy crawlies how would we describe the life cycle of these space zombie slugs Gavin how do they how I, do they how do they go I would say they're they're 
hatched, I guess, from inside of an animated or a possessed animated. Uh, what do you call whenever a slug takes over your brain and you're kind of on like you're kind of sl- the slug rodeo. I don't yeah, know. The, the um, yeah, the slug takes over the host's brain and then uh, uses the brain to move the muscles and nothing else is essential. Um, except for the brain and muscles, making it effectively a zombie. Um, and then the, the slug lays eggs. Yeah, and it meanders them into situations where they can infect more people. Yeah. If you scream, you're dead. I don't really remember. Do they come out of the mouth or do they explode out of the corpse? So, well, you know what? That's a good... It's It makes sense that you would ask that because on occasion, they will... Uh, shoot out of the mouth in um for comedic effect, but generally they will um the the skull will explode in a hilarious um kind of quasi scan like you know cheap version of scanners explosion, (laughs) and a whole whole mess of them will just. Uh, slap onto the ground and start wriggling um, toward the the nearest wet hole. I didn't mean for that to sound that good. Wait a second. <laughs> it is uh, appropriately terrifying. So it's kind of like a much simplified version of the kind of alien xenomorph incubation that yeah. goes from your mouth into your brains and explodes at your head. It's, yeah, it's a, that's it's a right. much simpler. It's a much simpler process here that these alien slug monster things do. Yeah, they explode and, out of the head. I see. Yeah, generally, and uh, right. then they. It's a real simple thing. Jump in your mouth, climb into your brain, uh, hatch some new ones, and explode back out. Explode back out the skull again. It's really. Not a complicated um, life cycle there. It's very efficient. So you can see why the weird little people in the alien suits did not want to leave them, uh, get them off the ship. Yeah. I really want the backstory of what that rogue little alien dude was like. He was possessed. He was possessed? Oh, you think? Yeah, he had a slug in him. You could tell because his eyes were different and he was kind of like, his face was sunken in as if skeletal for that kind of alien. Well, slap my taint and call me Susan. That would make (laughs) a lot of sense. Yeah. If it was then granted a urgent need to release the zombie slugs. Yeah. Um, well, fucking fascinating. All right. So, um, so, now we have uh, Jason Lively and Steve Marshall as our, our two main characters who are dragged into the police precinct by in, inveterate veteran horror uh, actor Tom Atkins, yeah. who is playing uh, Detective Ray Cameron. You will remember from The Fog? Uh, who has also come up on our show already from Fog was episode two, I believe. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Enough time for one more story. Tom <laughs> Atkins is incredible. He's uh, He lives in uh, Washington, Washington County, Pennsylvania these days. He's from uh, Pittsburgh. 
He's uh, of his dad was like a steel worker, and he is as synonymous with kind of a bread and butter uh, horror star as almost anybody could be. He's yeah. been in uh, a shitload of movies for John Carpenter. He's in Escape from New York. He was in The Fog. He was in uh, the the wraparound segments from Creep Show. He was he's very um, meme friendly in 2020. Uh, the star of Halloween Three, Season of the Witch, which for some reason a lot of people on the internet really fucking like. Gavin, <laughs> do you have any opinions about um, Halloween Three, Season of the Witch? Um, I don't fucking remember it. It's the one with the creepy little kid masks that eat the little kids' heads. <sighs> it's the it's the one that doesn't have Michael Myers in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's then, like a completely shit. different movie that has nothing the fuck to do with Michael Myers. I didn't even know that, so I ha- I yeah. definitely have not seen it even. Yes. Yeah, so just to prove <laughs> how disconnected with um, popular culture we are, Gavin didn't even know about um, uh, Halloween. I've, I wasn't big into Halloween. I... Well, you, it's fine if you're not into Halloween 3. For some reason, over the last two years, it's become this big, like, commercial, I think it's because of content creators those ba- rat bastards. Yeah. He says yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, slug in cheek. Um, but the, the, that for some reason that there's a lot of swag associated with Halloween three, because it's like you know, these funny little kid masks of like a pumpkin and a witch and everything. Yeah. You know, it's got Tom Atkins and Tom Atkins is good, but it's like, it's like a nightmare on Elm street movie without Freddie in it. Like, what are you, yeah. what, are you what are you doing to me? I like I I showed up to an orgy and everybody's got their clothes on. What is this fucking <laughs> eyes wide shut? Eating, a, a, eating from the buffet. <laughs> uh, yeah. What? Who? Who? <laughs> who did you invite to this? And why are they not killing anybody? You know, it's it's like you know what's really frightening? Capitalism. And I'm like nobody nobody cares in 19 fucking 83. But anyway, <laughs> you should have. Don't bother watching Halloween 3. It still sucks, regardless of how many um, horror nerds on the internet want to wear t-shirts about it. It's <laughs> terrible. Because there's not a guy in a mask chopping yeah. people up. So, it's like if they made a fucking Friday the 13th movie without Jason in it, you know, would you be like, would you put that well, in the That was the first priorities? one. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, sure. he was in it. He was in no, it. No, he comes in the comes out. Spoiler alert. He comes out. He comes out later um, yeah. and uh, advocates well, for for child rights. Not me. I'm going to be an Adrian Barbobot. There's a documentary called. Well, it's not really. It's like a four piece special that they now call a documentary called Thrill Me, the making of. Uh, Night of the Creeps, and yeah. of course they feed. Of course, yeah, it's you can get it's on YouTube. It's like an hour long. It's it's clearly um, like four cool. segments that they've strung into one long thing with the credits in between. It's from like two thousand and nine. Yeah. It's it's pretty it's pretty all right. There's a lot of information that you wouldn't know, and you never see Steve Marshall or the other the other stars talking about the movie, um, and. It, you know, it's 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 very amusing. Check it out. It's on YouTube. It's like an hour. And 
Tom Atkins, yeah. like he like he has been doing since this time. I saw I met Tom Atkins at a horror convention, and I asked him. I had him sign my copy of Night of the Creeps, like you do. And he yeah. said, "How is it?" And I go, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "The movie." And I'm like, "Oh, I mean, you know, it's pretty good on VHS. It's not the director's cut or anything." And he goes, "Like, no, I mean, how is the movie good?" And I'm like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's a really good movie, actually. Yeah. Because right now, now, since there's been this kind of like renaissance of, of horror nerdism, he's probably been motivated to give a shit. And he talks about how Fred Decker is his favorite director to have worked with. And, yeah. and he's so happy to, to see the renaissance of people appreciating the movie. But, you know, people don't realize a lot of the times that a lot of a lot of actors don't fucking watch their movies after they're done. Tom Cruise does not watch movies that he's in, at least yeah. according to him. Um, you do the job and you get paid and apparently you're doing a good job because then somebody comes from China and offers you another billion dollars to make another uh, falling out of a helicopter movie. And you just keep on going. You live your life. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, like this show, I've only recently started to listen to it to check for like audio mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what have you, What have you noticed? Are we Are we a good show? Um, I play a video game most of the time when I'm listening to it, so it's great for that. <laughs> That's how it's, podcasts it, podcasts are a do something else medium. Yeah this this podcast is perfect uh, for me for like paying attention, checking for audio for turn based strategy games or RPG games. It's like great for it. So if you're doing that right now, look out for that. Uh, guy in the in the <laughs> hex next to you. Yeah, like the, not that guy. <laughs> that guy there's, a, there's a guy. There's a guy behind. Yeah, there's that tree. another guy f- flanking you in the other hex in the in the four quadrant hex. <laughs> not that one. The other one. The other so, one. Uh, the Tom Atkins, who uh, he he's fan he's fantastic and everything. He plays basically Tom Atkins in every movie. He mostly yeah. play, he mostly plays cops or doctors. He he plays kind of like tongue in cheek, mildly grizzled. Yeah, ser- serious kind of like crackerjack characters who who lay down the law and say it like it is. <laughs> and um, he plays kind of the pinnacle of that as Detective Ray Cameron in Night of the Creeps, which I cannot fail to mention that there is a panoply of um, way, way before its time Easter egg references of the names of all of the characters in this movie. Um, so the, the characters who are named after horror directors in this movie are include... Romero, Cronenberg, Landis, Raimi, Minor, Carpenter, Hooper, and Cameron, including yeah. Tom Atkins' character, Ray Cameron. And, but the, that sounds like, yeah, okay, get it. He dropped a bunch of references to other things. This is 1986. Yeah. This was not people a thing that, that people did, okay? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's going to keep coming up. Okay, because there was there's a, a fan. I'm sorry, I forget his name. In in um, one of the the features that I watched in preparation for this episode, who who's called like diehard fan, and he said very accurately what he said is that Night of the Creeps pre generated the postmodern horror category 
10 years before it would exist. Meaning yeah. that you could have a horror movie, not only that was really funny, okay, there, the amount of horror comedies at that time that were, you know, that anybody would bother watching, you could count on one hand. And, yeah. But also that, that, the postmodern horror movie didn't exist. That really, that template, as far as history is concerned, was stamped by Wes Craven with Scream by saying the the participants in the movie are aware consciously yeah. of the conventions of the genre and are in a, in a way playing with the audience expectations by subverting and utilizing those expectations. Well, this is a version of that that is 10 plus years earlier and is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, so Night of the Creeps essentially ends up being, in addition to the hilarious elements of the slug monster zombies that infect the frat boys whose heads explode and start marching down the street. And there's a character that is named informative student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a case where as best that we try, we will not be able to crack the nut of getting understanding this movie across to you. And the reason that I think that case is, is I don't think anybody understands this movie. My, I'm going to, I'm going to go to my like deep Hess, my deep Hess hypothesis and say, I don't even know if director and writer Fred Deckard completely understands this movie. Man, um, I do. I understand this movie and I'll tell you how it's because I, fell in love with role-playing games a long time ago and ever since like ever since we first played Shadowrun when we were like 11 um or 12 I forget but um ever since that night I have looked at movies as if they were a game and mm. if you look at Night of the Creeps as if it were a game it makes total sense and it's awesome yeah you do you certainly have a clear scenario yeah um, zombie slug monsters, and you have a kind of um, juicy protagonist set of, um, you know, hapless boy on his way to homecoming, yeah. somehow got armed with a flamethrower, jokey sidekick friend, cute girl, um, cute girl sidekick during the battle grizzled old detective and then yeah. go right and then it just like try that and it so it has a very it, it really gives you the these are the heroes this is the danger conflict and then the way that it executes the conflict is by leaning into all of the deep cliches and and prejudices about those cliches that the audience has that that Fred Decker described that he didn't really kind of like come up with this idea it was that his brain <laughs> while he was at UCLA as a film student or he was an English student and I think he kind of backdoored it into being a film student that he he thought of it as like a, a pot that was simmering. That was all of the ingredients from horror movies and B movies in a stew that had just been 
simmering for years as a as a, a late night movie consumer and that finally yeah. he finally like lifted the lid off of it and as his first feature film night of the creeps was just all of that shit like wrangled together into one total product that as your first movie you want to get all that shot in there you know you, they we were referenced to zolly recently we were talking about tentacles where he says yeah. you know he talked about in the documentary i really wanted to do he called it like a, a tracking zoom or whatever the fuck but it's it's a zolly there is a um, of exactly the same style of shot when Ray, Detective Ray Cameron by T- Tom Atkins no, realizes that the zombie that he's pointing the shotgun at is the resurrected axe murderer maniac killer of his wife from or for his girlfriend from 1959. And yeah. it's the perfect time to do that. And so yeah. they do this great realization, Zolly, on him holding the shotgun to pull reality away from him in this really dramatic way. And they're like, well, yeah, we wanted, I wanted to include all of the great shit you might never get to do again, which is probably good yeah. that it did because <laughs> yeah. thanks to the vicissitudes of, of life in Hollywood, like he has not had an opportunity to be a major like helmer of all of these movies enough times that he's going to get to do this 72 times, which is, I think is a, a really uh, a boner killer because he's so very creative and talented. Yeah. The, the movie throws all of these things at you, but it's, it's well paced. It's fucking hilarious. And yeah. it does the meta thing that it does. Do you have a high school sweetheart? Among a few, but the main thing that I don't think people grasp. Maybe. Well, uh, whatever happened to her. Is that the movie is, and this might have been a half thought by Decker. I don't know. Blew it. She decided we didn't ever need to talk again and went on with her life, I guess. But the way that it's executed is, for me, what the movie is. Is that the 80s. I had a high school sweetheart. And the 50s. So, what happened to her? Are juxtaposed. I blew it. She decided we didn't ever need to talk again. Me, I, uh, I became a cop. On to each other in not only, like, style, but also in content and in character and in yeah. format. I've been a rookie about two weeks. We got the call. You know, originally he wanted the whole movie to be in black and white, and I'm glad that the studio actually talked him out of that. Highway Patrol, they uh, saw a car on the side of the road. Because you get more of a juxtaposition between the 80s and the 50s that Tom Atkins, as Cameron... There's a couple. Guy's body was in the woods 20 yards from the car. Along with the maniac zombie, like, they're the only thing that bridge the two time chunks together. My partner found him. I found the girl. Where the the tropes of 1950s horror movies come alive and kill Tom Hatkins's like kind of lascivious girlfriend in the, you know, in the the Mercury or whatever the fuck the car is on Lover's Lane, right? <laughs> yeah. I find her in the car. And on the road. And in the woods, your high school sweetheart went on with her life. Mine got hacked up by a 
nutcase with an axe. But that's not the fun part. So it's the 50s, you know, a space, a spaceship launches something in front of the car. The guy with a group crew cut gets out. He gets attacked by the aliens and then they get chopped yeah. up by a maniac. That's 1950s horror, along yeah. with like a concerned, helpful white police officer and black and white photography and, you know, announcements on the radio. What happened next? Guess the police found him close. I found him. It wasn't what you call your routine police work either. What would you call it? Revenge. And then when you pull into the 80s, everything in the 80s is also as 80s as fuck as it can be. And it's only 1985 when they're making this fucking movie. So the self-awareness yeah. of going like, what are the most ridiculous 80s, 80s things we can do? Well, we got, okay, our characters were gonna, are going to pledge a frat. They're going to be like in a college. Collared cocaine frat guys who are on their way to Wall Street. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It, it is so ostentatiously aware of itself, but without... Yeah. Like, without, there's no condescension. It's doing all of these things, both comedically and at, like, 100%. You see, I tracked him during my off hours. By yourself? Oh, no, 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 no. I took my 12-gauge with me. So you never, yeah. you don't get this weird, like... Um, Asylum Studios, isn't it so funny that we did this? Like, you know, ashy yeah. mouthfeel yeah. bullshit of like, ha ha, like, isn't this hilarious? Yeah. I tracked him and I found him. And when I found him, I leveled off that shotgun right at his chest. It genu all of the gags are genuinely funny because although he's building them from cliches. He's really building them. Spanky, guess what happened next? Should you be telling me this? Close. I pulled the trigger. Yeah, he's not just making the joke. He's, exactly. He's, he's built um, substance from like context and nuance. That's all real exciting and everything, but listen, I've got a midterm. I wrapped study. his body in a plastic bag. I buried him in a vacant lot. It feels like it has a soul. It feels like it has uh, something genuine to it. Right behind your girlfriend's sorority. Of course, it isn't a vacant lot anymore. Now the house mother's cottage is sitting right on top of it. Look, detective, now I don't mean to be rude or anything, but other than just kind of wanting to confess to a murder, is there a point to this story? Spanky. That's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. Hey there, dear readers. This is Hass jumping in just to let you guys know we had such a fun time recording our end of the year, beginning of the year spectacular that um, we ran on and on and on. So we decided to... Uh, pull it out into a full double feature with two episodes. So this is part one. Stay tuned for part two coming at you next week with the conclusion of Night of the Creeps. All right.